My, my father had a great saying that nobody has the monopoly on wisdom. So we're better together, we're stronger together. Welcome to the Electric Perspectives Global Circuit, where we discuss the trends shaping our electric future. Here's your host, EEI Vice President for International Programs, Lawrence Jones. Our guest today is Mr. Pat O'Doherty, Chief Executive Officer of Electricity Supply Boat, who is joining us from Dublin, Ireland. Welcome, Pat. Thank you, Lawrence. Good evening here from Dublin. Uh, Pat, tell us about ESB. What is it? And can you do it both in terms of what it is today, but also historically, how did it even start? Yeah, so ESB, we're a state-owned, vertically integrated electricity company, 90 years old. Uh, We were... Uh, established in 1927 by statute. And it, it's it's an interesting question, Lawrence, because just very recently, uh, on our 90th birthday a couple of years ago, we decided to go and have a look at our strategy and to frame our strategy and who we are and where we've come from, what we stand for, and then to frame the decade to our 100th birthday in the context of that. And what looms right out of that is the whole purpose. And in many respects, ESB, 100-year-old or 90-year-old electricity company, the same as many, uh, many, many companies like us across the world, we were established by governments at the time to seed economic and societal prosperity through electricity. That's ultimately what our purpose was back then. And that's deep in our DNA uh, we went through various phases. We started as a pure hydro company, and then as we expanded, then we went into other fuels, coal, indigenous peat, um, which is, I suppose, early stage coal. It's, it's it's a fossil fuel that we harvest here in Ireland, uh, and then oil and gas, um, pumped storage. So, uh, and, and more recently, renewables. Uh, rural electrification, a huge rural electrification program, no different from the rural cooperatives in the United States and in other rural communities across the globe. Again, to bring the power of electricity to local communities and to make life better. Uh, so out of out of that, looking back, um, we decided to frame what we call our brighter future strategy in the context of going back into our DNA and go back into our past. And, you know, for 90 years, we brought... Uh, solutions. It's not about the kilowatt hours that are sold, it's about what's done with them. And we've evolved uh, over that time. But the greatest challenge now facing humankind is that of climate change. And this gives us an opportunity to restate our purpose in the context of doing the right thing for customers and society and the communities we serve. And that's about leading the transition to a low carbon future. So for ESB, our strategy is very much about that, leading the transition to a low carbon future, low carbon economy for the customers and the communities that we serve, all powered by clean electricity. In 2020, there was a flurry of of pronouncements regarding uh, the net zero uh, because obviously because of the Paris Agreement, which was celebrated five-year anniversary on December 12th of last year, uh, we now see even more of these net zero pronouncements being made by governments and corporations. Can you just tell us briefly about the Ireland uh, uh, net zero strategy and then more specifically uh, ESB strategy? So so our, Ireland's net zero strategy is effectively the European Union's net zero strategy. And the European Union has, all the countries in Europe now are signing up for net zero. 
Um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's an interesting pathway en route to that, which is just working its way through the European um, system at the moment, which is that by a statement now of intent that carbon, carbon will reduce by 55% by 2030. Uh, um, so that's a big step up. And all of the utility companies in Europe have signed up for that. So ESB is no different than that. Um, Irish government here has a very ambitious climate action plan. And that envisages 70% of electricity generated from renewables by 2030. So 70% by 2030. Um, today, we have 40% of, 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 of electricity generated from renewables. That is mainly onshore wind. Um, we, we, we have... I think the second highest wind penetration in Europe, if you take it that we're a very lightly interconnected electricity system, it's it, it, it's staggering what we've done here uh, in terms of the network challenges and indeed in terms of the system challenges and the market challenges to make that work. But on so we we will exit coal here in Ireland uh, by 2025. I mentioned peat burning earlier on. We are exiting peat as we speak this year. ESB closes its two remaining peat-fired stations. Peat has been part of this, the, the, the mix, electricity mix, the fuel mix in Ireland for 70, for, for 70 years, for seven decades. So lots of things changing. Um, gas as a transition fuel. Um, and I suppose the big challenge then will be to think through what happens post-2030 and how do you get to the next zero, that jump from 70% by 2030 to to net zero by 2050 and, and gas, how the role of gas in the transition and then what replaces gas. But then on the other side of this then also is the role of the networks. The electricity networks are really at the heart of enabling electrification. Electri electrification, we would see today uh, electricity on an end user base that accounts for 20%. Um, so we would see that getting to 50 or 60% by 2050 with the electrification of heat and transport. Heat and transport here account for another 30%. Uh, um, so we could see that we have the, we've this mantra here in ESB from being 20% of a problem today and that 20% of carbon emissions come from the electricity system. In a net zero world, we'll be, we'll be 50 or 60% of the solution. So the electrification of heat and transport, um, starting with uh, oil-fired boilers in, in, in rural Ireland, a big issue for the electricity networks. So we're just concluding a distribution price review with our regulator, which will see a huge increase, a 50% increase on CapEx for the distribution network, which is all aimed at connecting more renewables on the one hand, but also facilitating electrification and heat and transport. So electrification of parts of the economy that makes sense to electrify and then the challenge beyond 2030, and this is a European-wide challenge, then is how do you, you decarbonise those parts of society and in particular heavy industry that are hard to electrify. In 2020, we also saw the uh, coronavirus pandemic uh, sweep across the world with significant impacts uh, for uh, a lot of industries, including the electric power industry. We're now in 2021 and there's vaccine now being rolled out. Uh, what do you see as some of the key lessons we've learned as an industry in terms of how we were able to deal with the, the pandemic from an operational, but even from a planning perspective? Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think the one thing that is universal about our industry right across the globe in the context of Corona is the way in which we responded. Um, when I, you know, we listen to EEI calls and other calls from our inter international collaborations through these associations, uh, it, it is the universal message that you get that the 
electricity industry really stood up to be counted and delivered. So for us in ESB, we made so we, we made a conscious decision back in the middle of March uh, that we were not going to be the story. The story was about a medical uh, pandemic, and we were going to make sure that we did what we always do, which is keep the lights on. But we've gone beyond that in ESB. What we've learned very, very quickly is we've learned that we can adapt. We have very, very large numbers working from home. We completely configured how we run our power stations and indeed how we operate our field staff uh, from our networks depots. Again, no different from any other electricity company in the world. Um, but we learned the power of adaptability, but we also learned that there's no challenge too big that we can't rise to. And I think that's worth reflecting on and holding on to as we now rise to the next challenge, which is 2030 and 2050. Uh, we are going to maintain large amounts of remote and flexible working for as many of our employees as we possibly can. It's you know, we it's easier to do it for office-based staff, but look at how we will deploy technology uh, to digitally enable our field for our, our field services to provide to do as much of our interactions with our customers through digital. So big investment in digital, big investment in remote and flexible working, um, and and to really to think to think courageously. You know, we've known we've seen that when the challenge was put to us from coronavirus, that we acted with courage and we acted. Uh, you know, with, yeah, and to, to to bring that. And the lesson and the learning from that forward to how we move forward. Well, one of the things uh, I find fascinating is you mentioned the word international. And on January 20th, uh, 2021, this year, uh, President-elect Joe Biden will become President of the United States. Uh, he's made climate uh, the centerpiece of his incoming administration. And obviously, the U.S. is going to be reengaging uh, the world from his perspective, and transatlantic collaboration is going to be key. Uh, what do you think is the role of international collaboration uh, for the electric power industry, especially as it relates to issues like climate change? Yeah, I, I suppose the first thing to say, Lawrence, there is that climate and carbon knows no, it doesn't know, doesn't understand international boundaries. So we're all in this together. And um, my my father had a great saying that nobody has the monopoly on wisdom. So we're better together, we're stronger together. And in particular, like we, the, the, the great thing about transcontinental collaborations is that we're not, we don't compete with each other. So, so that as parts of our business, our generation business and our retail business here in Europe, that we compete with each other and we still find ways of, of collaborating. But, but the international, that wider international collaboration, we learn from either, each other. And there's a great history in this industry doing that. Um, I, I think also in the future, the scale of the problems we're confronted with around climate require scale. They require large-scale thinking and they require large-scale funding um, and partnerships. And they require partnerships of a very, very different nature. The, the conventional partnerships that where we collaborate and we have commercial partnerships to invest in, 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 in projects is one thing. But partnering with, with, with new tech, with startups, um, is, 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 you know, is part of what I think the future is going to look like as well. So there's a huge role for intercompany, inter-industry and international collaboration. I've heard you speak many times, Pat, and I'm always intrigued by your vision. A couple of years ago, you were in Washington, D.C. We had a conversation about your 
uh, your vision for the energy system going forward. And like, I would like to revisit your vision now that it's been maybe like four or five years. So what do you envision for the energy system by the year 2050? Because 2030 is almost here. So let's take it a little further and say by the year 2050, what do you envision for the industry? I Yeah, you're right. I suppose, Lawrence, uh, 20, you know, the, the, fir- the first thing to say about vision is that, um, you know, we've been talking a long time about this change that's coming. And I actually believe now we're, we're in it. Okay. Um, and, you know, so we're, we're living through it. We can see smart meters been rolled out. Um, we can see customers and consumers and citizens here in Ireland now beginning to think about the kind of choices that they need to make to play their part. So whether it's the type of transport they drive, whether it's how they heat their homes, whether they put solar panels. Oh, and we, we see people now actively considering that as part of their long-term planning around how they want to live their lives and how they want to make that contribution. You know, uh, 2050 is well within the time frame of the investments that we have to make now. We're making investments, you know, with, with their long-range investments. So I, I would say that, by by 2050, I I actually believe that our industry will 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 be decarbonized before before 2050. Uh, I I think uh, you know, from a I speak from a European perspective that our that we we I'd be very very confident that by you know somewhere between 2040, I'll take a punt on this. 2040 and 2050, our industry will be decarbonized. There are significant technical challenges to be overcome. There are significant market regulatory and customer and consumer challenges to be overcome. We will overcome them. So, I, I, my, my vision is that you know it goes back to when I talked about purpose, and you know, purpose is that you know when you look back over your history as a company, you look at what is that thing that has remained unchanged over many, 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 many decades. Um, and for us, it's about doing the right thing for customers and communities. Um, and so so we will be centre stage. I, uh, our industry will be centre stage uh, in, in, in a low-carbon world, in a low-carbon economy. It'll be significant uh, electrification of transport and heat. Um, I there will be there will be some combination of carbon capture and storage and green hydrogen will have come together to 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 do the last piece of that decarbonization so in a, so in a way electrification will have a role in that via indirect electrification um i think on the here 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 in europe and in ireland we will see significant amounts of offshore wind as a big part of that, so floating offshore wind, so convergence of the oil and gas, the exploration industry with the traditional power sector is going to have to happen. It's already beginning to happen. Um, in Ireland here, we have great, um, there, there's great re- offshore wind resources off the coast of Ireland, so Ireland will become an exporter of, of renewables from offshore wind on some kind of transnational European grid and probably hydrogen as well, and exporting hydrogen as a value-added fuel as well. Um, I think the customer, we're going to see a very, very, very different customer dynamic. Uh, today, whether we like it or not, we talk a lot about customer service and customer centricities. I happen to believe that by where we need to be in 2050, we're not at the races at all. Um, in Ireland here, we've got, you know, 
two products. We have a night product and a day product, a cheap product and a more expensive product. And it's, yeah, that's, that's, but smart metering and digital technology and a collab, a, a, an engaged and a, and a savvy customer is going to drive electricity supply companies uh, to offer products and services customer to customers to allow them to make choices of when and how they use our electricity and indeed what price they're prepared to pay for it. And I think that that interaction between the customer and the electricity system, that dynamic interaction is going to bring the customer much, much more centre stage and particularly place the distribution networks very much at the centre of what we're calling here a reimagined electricity system. And, and in that context, Pat, what's the role of innovation? Because everything you just said makes me think innovation, innovation, innovation. How critical is innovation going to be to achieve that vision? Innovate, innovation is going to be huge. Uh, so, so the answer, if we, if we want to electrify large parts of society, heat and transport and indeed industry, you can't just do it in the way we traditionally did it by putting copper in the ground. The, the regulated model where you invest and get a return on your assets invested in your networks businesses uh, won't be able to sustain that because that would drive a price for electricity that would just be, be wrong and it won't work. So the regulators, so there's going to be innovation going to be needed in how the regulators regulate um, the networks companies. It's going to have to incentivize networks companies to innovate, to do more with the le- with, with, with with the same, uh, to 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 manage demand and to manage load and to move load around around the clock, as it were, and and, and between seasons in terms of storage. Uh, there's going to be innovation required in fuels. Uh, there's going to be innovation required in products and services for customers. And in terms of customers inside in their homes, whether it's residential customers or indeed uh, commercial and industrial customers, the role that they're going to play in being an integral part of generating electricity on the one hand and consuming electricity on the other is going to require significant integration. And I, I think digital is going to be a big part of that innovation. I think another piece of the innovation is going to be electricity companies understanding in a better way as our customer needs. Um, I, I, I think we need to move away from selling kilowatt hours. We're selling quality of life. We're selling comfort. Um, but I think understanding the, 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 the needs of customers using analytics, um, using design thinking, uh, and, and innovate with the customer. Um, it's, I don't think it's good enough to, to talk about bringing the customer on this journey with us anymore. Um, that's almost saying that we know best. I think it's about us and the customers coming together to travel this journey together. And we have to be responsive to the needs of customers. So innovation is needed right across the value chain from how we generate electricity in terms of large scale, in terms of small scale, in terms of how the networks are used and in terms of the customer and interaction between the customer and indeed the whole of the electricity system. So joining us from Dublin, Ireland, Pat Dodardi, we have a few minutes left before you have to go and have your dinner. I know we're getting into that soon. But uh, Pat, what excites you then about the future? And also what concerns you about the future? I'm, I'm really excited by the, by, by the challenge in this. I, I think there's uh, the, the challenge here is more than just a technical challenge. It's a human and it's a societal challenge. And I think 
that's that's the thing that plays really deep into what electricity customer companies stand for. So it's so that's really it's 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 the it's the excitement of doing something that is right for humankind, doing something that's right for citizens. Uh, that that really excites me. Um, I you know the, the the other piece of this, of course, is this is a huge opportunity for our industry. Like today, our industry is encouraging customers to use less of our product. So there is a growth piece in this for our industry. The growth piece is to put electricity center stage in a decarbonized world and have, you know, the, the, the electricity is 50 or 60 percent of end use consumption, energy consumption by 2050 is a staggering opportunity. So that's that's very, very exciting also. Um, I, I, I suppose the you know uh, I'm, I'm I'm an optimist by nature um there there's huge challenges the the, the I, I think what has to come together here um is is there has to be a perfect alliance between industry and I and by industry I mean our supply chain as well in terms of OEMs in terms of the people who provide equipment to 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 our industry I think there has to be huge collaboration with our with customers and communities, there has to be a huge collaboration with uh, with policy and with government. And I suppose the challenge all the time in something like this is, the, I'm talking about a challenge that is is multi-decade, and governments come and they spend anything from three to five years in government, and then we have a change of government. So it's to try and get that political continuity focused on 2050. Um, across all political parties uh, is is a real real challenge in this um uh, but but you know uh, i'm as i said i'm an op- I, i'm an optimist and for us as an industry um and for those who represent our industry whether it's edison or whether it's your electric here in in europe of which i'm i'm i i i'm a part our industry has an obligation in that regard also to 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 work with policymakers and to work with governments to join to get this a, a vision that is truly uh you, you know is we, we 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 can be proud of on the one hand but we can deliver and we have a good uh, you know a good chance of delivering at the end of the day as for kind of that's the thing that ultimately is the challenge, but it's also the excitement piece about this. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and we look forward to seeing you again. Our guest has been Pat Doherty, Chief Executive Officer, ESB Ireland. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Electro Perspectives Global Circuit, an EEI International Programs podcast. For more episodes, subscribe to the Electric Perspectives podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit eei.org international.